0: Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I am Katie Rich, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm back at a studio in Los Angeles. And now I'm joined here on the West Coast by Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, Katie. And still back in New York, keeping that whole city afloat on his own, is uh, Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson.
1: Hey, guys, it's not that cold here, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but $2. it's <laughs>
0: so sunny here, Richard. <laughs> tell, us,
1: tell us how gross it is. We want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's cold and it's windy and I don't like it. And it rained for the past two days, so
0: see, you there guys you are in a it better will... place. California's running out of water, so we're here to take all of it while we're here.
2: Katie and I are in a better place now, <laughs> children. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, So, this is a special pre-Oscar edition of Little Goldman. It's such a busy week, so we have so much to talk about. And we're joined by Vanity Fair's Executive Director of Public Relations, Beth Seniak, who can give us kind of an insider's look at the Oscar party, the famed Vanity Fair Oscar party. She's been there since the very beginning. She handles the press. She's got all the stories from back when it was in a restaurant where no one could fit in there. And
2: I know that there are some movie writers who listen to this podcast and they're going to want to listen very closely for hints of how they can someday get through. Beth's line to come to the party
0: yeah so listen closely everyone and then from there we'll go and do one last run through our Oscar predictions and which categories are still up for grabs and then do a really specific focus on the preferential ballot which is how best picture is determined it's a little complicated but it's kind of the key to knowing why the Revenant will win or if you follow some theories maybe it won't win after all
2: All right. So we're very excited to be joined today by our executive director of public relations at Vanity Fair, Beth Seniak. Beth, hi. Thanks for joining us.
3: Happy to be here.
2: And, I, you know, we want to talk to you about the Oscar party uh, because I, I, no one knows it better, at least from the angle of working with press on it and, and how it gets out into the world. Um, and how many years have you been doing this? Is it, have you been there for everyone?
3: Uh, Yep, I have been there since the beginning, 1994, and this will be our 22nd, because we missed it one year in 2008, and also in, because of the writer's strike, we didn't do it, um, and then in 2003, uh, the Iraq War began three days before the Oscar party, and uh, we decided not to have press that year, so we did not have a press line in 2003. But otherwise, I've done every single party.
0: How did that phone call go to the press when you told them they couldn't come to the party anymore?
3: Oh, I, uh, First of all, you know, um, InStyle at that point was doing the Elton John party. They were doing it together. And uh, I have a friend at InStyle, and she kept calling me every single day. And in the meantime, because we didn't know when the war was going to start, right? We were was the week before the war, and I was in touch with someone at ABC News because they were in touch with the government people. And so every day we were like back and forth, should we do this? Should we not do this? Um, and we just didn't feel like it would be appropriate to have, you know, the huge press line if in fact our country was at war. So the inside person, my friend at Inside, kept calling me and said, listen, we're going to do whatever you guys decide to do. Um, and so we were kind of back and forth. Should we do it? Should we not do it? And Ended up like two days before, three days before um, canceling the press, and uh, you know, I, including the print press that we let some people inside, and uh, uh, believe me, I had many phone calls of people begging,
2: uh, <laughs> please, please reconsider. We just
3: make one exception? And I think we probably did make a couple exceptions that year for print press inside, but we did not make an exception for uh, outside.
2: Well so so in a regular year I mean obviously the party has evolved a lot and we can talk about that too but as of now 2016 tell our listeners what the press apparatus involves there's there's red carpet there's people who come into the party just can you just sketch it out
3: Sure we've got red carpet outside which has about 25 camera crews broadcast press, and they do interviews with all the people who come over the course of the evening. And then we have about 60 photographers who take pictures of the guests as they come in. And so that's kind of like its own part of the party. I think there's a lot of energy, obviously, out there. The photographers are constantly yelling to the stars, you know, look to your right, look to your left over here, because right. nobody wants to miss the, the great picture. So it's kind of fun to just hang out there and watch it because there's so much happening out there. And then inside the party, we invite a limited number of press and, you know, and and they're timed as to when they can come. And, you know, some only have like an hour long time that they can come in. And basically we let them in so that they can observe and see what it's like to be in the party. But they're not supposed to have you know, interview people in the party or have notebooks out or do anything like that. Um, we feel that the interview should take place outside.
2: Right. A big part of what you're doing is trying to protect the experience of the guests, right? So that they're not, you know, it's fine to have a red carpet that's rambunctious and fun. But once they're inside, in a perfect world, they're like at a party and not being harassed the way that they've been harassed for the previous six hours. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and do you have any good stories of um, press misbehaving or crashing or anything like that? What are, what are, what's the inside dirt? Uh,
3: I, I hate to call out anyone about misbehaving, <laughs> but there have been many who have over the years. Um, and at some point, I can't remember which year we did it, we just told people if, you know, we would tell the editor, you know, whoever was the editor of the person who was covering, we would say, you know, because it's hard once people get into the party, if they're on a limited period of time, we ha- we say to them, listen, meet us at this door so we can make sure you leave the party when you're supposed to leave the party. And sometimes it's hard chasing people out. Um, right. And so we tell the editor, listen, if your reporter this year does not cooperate, it means that you will not be able to send someone to cover the following year. We also did have one uh, at Morton's. I sent someone in to look for a reporter and said, you've got to tell him he has to come out now. And so the person went in and the next thing I know, the manager of Morton's is coming out and saying, Beth, what do you need me for? And I'm like, this is not the reporter. <laughs> is the manager for Morton's.
2: <laughs>
3: and in those earlier days, believe me, I've had to – sometimes I've had to get security to take the reporters out in the earlier days before we had the rule where if your reporter misbehaves, your publication isn't coming the following year. I don't care if you fired your reporter over it. <laughs>
2: And, and obviously, you know, the party has become this really big institution and, and our colleagues have been here. You've been here all week. Our colleagues have been here all week building it. But tell, tell us a little bit about, I'm curious to know more about that first year, the first two years when this was a, a much smaller affair.
3: Well, I have to say in terms of the press, we pretty much had almost the same number of people covering from the first year. There was something about it that I think that all the paparazzi and the broadcast crews knew that they would get everybody if they came to our party Mm -hmm. instead of just going to the Oscars because, you know, a lot of people don't go to the Oscars, but they come out for our party. So they knew if they just stayed at our party, they would get everybody over the course of the evening. So we were kind of surprised. I remember the first year, and I can remember the first year, and, you know, Cy Newhouse standing outside and looking at this group of broadcast crews and saying, who are these people? And at that point, at Morton's, we had a whole lot of space, so we were able to accommodate people from around the world. I mean, we had German crews, we had Japanese crews, we had British crews. We had Italian crews.
2: So what happened? So basically, you announced you helped Graydon decided that he wanted to take over the party right from Swifty Lazar, who had previously had this kind of big Oscar after party. And then you guys made an announcement, and basically everybody in the world was like, "We want to be there with a with a photo crew."
3: Yeah, it was one of those things where, and we didn't even make the announcement because you know Graydon is pretty low key when he starts something, and yeah. Didn't want to make a big deal about it. But once people heard that Vanity Fair was having a party, it was kind of like they called me um, really? mm. and said, listen, how do we get credentialed? We want to come. And, you know, so we just went from there.
0: And what have you done over the years when there have been other after parties? Like you talk about the InStyle Elton John party, like Madonna throws a party once in a while. Do you just kind of know that people will keep coming back to the Vanity Fair party? Or does the party have to kind of change and adapt based on what people are looking for?
3: There came a point where the other parties, like the InStyle Elton John party moved across the street from the Morton's party.
0: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah, and just so people understand that it's been at, Four different venues, I guess. There was Morton's for for years, which is a restaurant where they would knock out a wall and have a tent to make the restaurant bigger. They'd knock down the wall every year for this party. But
3: actually, (laughs) you know, in the first, I forget how many years, we did not knock down the wall. Okay. And, you know, the first year, it was just in Morton's, which is not that big of a restaurant. And it was a very intimate event, and I can remember just walking around at one point and and sort of looking at all these people, and like every single person in the room was a Hollywood star, pretty much, and thinking, wow, this is like somebody's cocktail party at their home, only it's in Hollywood and it's full of, you know, actors and actresses. I mean, that's like every single person was someone you recognized. Right, you know, yeah. and then over the years, it's gotten bigger. We at Morton's, we, you know, we knocked down a wall and then tent an area in the back, and we were at Morton's till I don't know, like eight years ago, I guess. And uh,
2: then it moved
3: and then to the Morton's Sunset Tower, and we moved to the Sunset right. Tower. Uh, that was in two thousand and eight or two thousand nine, when we decided we wanted to make it a little bit smaller because it'd gotten big, and so we kind of cut down the numbers and made it a little bit more intimate and smaller. And then after five years at the Sunset Tower, we decided to do it somewhere else, and we built our own custom-designed space and did it at uh, the Sunset Plaza, the parking lot behind the Sunset Plaza. And then we moved to the area between the Annenberg Center and the Beverly Hills City Hall.
2: Yeah. So it's amazing. I mean, there's this structure being built right now and it's built every year and then taken down and then rebuilt the following year. It's unbelievable. I mean, I don't know, is there any other party that does this or event, annual event that does this? It's kind of amazing.
3: I don't know, but we do have uh, our own architect, Basil Walter, who has been very involved with the party over the years. And, you know, his team... Puts up this temporary structure, and it's a big temporary structure, and it's it it feels it does not feel temporary, it feels like a real building.
0: So Beth, during the party, where where do people find you? Are you inside, kind of keeping an eye on the journalists? Are you at the door, keeping an eye on who's coming in? Do you go back and forth? Are you managing the whole thing?
3: I'm sort of back and forth, yeah, between the red carpet and inside the party. During the actual dinner, because we have a viewing dinner beforehand, my staff and I watch the Oscars and we make sure we know who all the winners are, who's walking away with an Oscar statue, especially for the lesser known categories, because, you know, one thing that will definitely get you into the Oscar party is an Oscar.
2: (laughs) Right. But people may not realize this. Other than that, being an Oscar nominee does not necessarily get you invited to the Oscar party.
3: No, it definitely doesn't. They do not invite all the nominees.
2: Um, you have to win to get part of the, yeah, you know, thrill of winning you as you get with to go. An
3: Oscar, you will be let in for sure. Right,
2: right.
1: Do
0: people ever try to like fake an Oscar or come up with ways to lie their way into the party?
3: I think one year someone came with an old Oscar.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's kind of a smart strategy, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I think before I let them in and said, "Okay, you win this year for." <laughs> for creativity, for clever way to crash
0: the party, but that was a one-time-only deal. Don't try that this year, just just so everybody. Yeah, knows. well,
3: but you know what? You never know, especially by the end of the night. It's like, and if you see an Oscar, you just like roll it on in. It's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so is what, what is it that makes? I mean, you know, you talk about the press and people don't have to do interviews, and people obviously want to come to this party for that. But is, do you think that there's a secret sauce that makes this? the party that everybody comes to year after year, other than just it's being thrown by great people who work at Vanity Fair?
3: Well, I think it's, you know, it's not a studio party. So you probably, you don't feel like you're at work. You know, you're not, it's not part of whatever studio uh, producer mm-hmm. movie. And it's, it's Vanity Fair. It's, and there's sort of a casual elegance to it that I feel like people feel comfortable Once they come, they know they're going to get good food. You know, they've probably been starving themselves all week to get into their dresses. And they know that everyone who's anyone will be there.
2: And we should of course shout out Sarah Marks, who, you know, creates the whole experience and has done so since the beginning, and Matt Yulian, who works with her. And and Graydon Carter, really the you know, the editor of Vanity Fair, obviously and host of this party. He's so detail oriented. I mean, he like he gets really down to, you know, the, the designs of everything on the table and what the what the little giveaways are gonna be, whether it's gonna be a lighter this year or something else. There's not a gift bag, that would God forbid, that would be way too gauche. But there are things in <laughs> In the party, even if they're not supposed to take them, people end up taking everything, right, at the end of the night? Oh,
3: yeah, people walk out. We do these lamps every year, the lampshades, which are, you know, sometimes they're the Hollywood cover or something. People have taken lamps out of the party. You know, <laughs> the oh, rich love
2: it. a bargain, as my old boss <laughs> used to say.
3: Yeah, but Braden <laughs> is also the curator of the list, and um, right. you know, who gets to come, who gets invited, and who doesn't. And, you know, he often says it's this uh, it's as important as who you don't let in, as to who and who you do let in.
2: Well, and he always looks for people, uh, interesting, unexpected people, right? So not just big movie stars, but people who make news in other areas, because that's kind of the fun of it too. Just like an issue of Vanity Fair has those unexpected surprises. You're going to be in the room and go, "Oh my gosh!" You know, I remember the year that Sully, Captain Sully, like landed the plane. You know, it was like right. he has to come and, to yeah, the Oscar he was party. The big
3: star, yeah
0: yeah, is there ever anybody who shows up who is so dazzling that even the Oscar winners who were in the room are kind of impressed by their presence? Uh, I, I guess think Sully he
3: definitely one. was one of those
0: people.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Because yeah. they'd never met him before, I'm sure. Right.
2: Can you hint to us this year about who might be, uh, who might be on the list, who's unexpected?
0: Well, we
3: never like to discuss the list beforehand. Well, that's kind of one of our rules. We tell people that we will give you a list at, like, 2 a.m., After the party, but not before.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: Well, just assume it's another collection of giant stars and maybe hero captains. (laughs)
2: So, Beth, one of the things we should talk about, just so people understand, like, yes, there's broadcast media, there's print media, and a lot of that has been remarkably stable over 20-some years. But also, I've been driving you insane over the past few years, bringing all these digital partnerships in. And how has that changed the way that you approach the party? We have, you know, partnerships with Snapchat, with Instagram, with Giphy this year is going to be on the red carpet.
3: Yeah, well, it's a brave new world, and there's so many different parts and moving parts now that uh, we never had to deal with before, so it just becomes much more complicated, and, you know, not only is it Vanity Fair who wants to Instagram out or, you know, social out, but it's the people who, you know, the Grey Goose people, you know, the Nespresso people, anybody, the Thomas Keller people, who Thomas Keller's the chef again this year, you know, they're all involved in the social media world. So, you know, it's not just Vanity Fair. It's And there's just so many other outlets where you can get news or photos from that, you know, we're part of the new century. And, uh, you know, we're all experimenting and figuring out what works and what doesn't work and, you know.
2: Early on, some people got in trouble for doing social media from the party, right? Wasn't there some questions early on whether that was something that we wanted?
3: You know what? There was a year, and, you know, forgive me because a lot of these things have left my mind, but there was a year where we collected cell phones.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow.
3: And That's I think this was like before the iPhone, so it wasn't like that easy to take pictures, you know, with the old cell phones. Yeah, and people did not like that. <laughs> <laughs> this was way back at Morton's, so you know, you know, I know it's hard to control, and you know, people are going to do what people are going to do, but you know, we we try and and control at least our people so that. We're not, you know, taking pictures every five minutes. I mean, you could do that. It's one of those parties where you're like, oh, my God, there's Beyoncé or there's Jay-Z or there's so-and-so. and I, Or there's somebody with an Oscar. Everybody wants to hold an Oscar. It's really hard not to. You know, and they <laughs> want to get a right. picture taken with the Oscar. You know, so when yeah. someone walks in with an Oscar, a lot of people do go up to them. And especially the people who are not the big actors are very happy to hand over their Oscar for a photo and – you know, those I'm people sure the there'll best. be a ton of those happening Sunday the night. The
2: winners who no one's ever heard of are the most fun <laughs> the live at the action party short film crew sure. exactly,
3: is the ones you really want exactly. to look for. Because they are just so delighted that they've won and they're happy yeah. to share their delight with everybody.
2: My favorite thing I've ever seen at the Oscar party was two years ago, Bill Murray dancing with Lupita and Yango at the end of the night with like a bunch of other people. What's your what's your favorite all time celebrity moment at the party?
3: I remember at Morton's, like one of the first years, Emma Thompson was nominated, and we had a mutual friend, and she came and she was starving, so she sat down at a booth and just ate dinner, and we sat and talked about books for like 15 minutes.
2: Wow. (laughs) That's probably 1996, right, Richard?
1: Uh, Yeah, she was up for, she won for Sense and Sensibility that year, and she she had a good run in the the mid-90s there, yeah.
0: Well, I guess this is the place where we plug to make everyone watch our Oscar party coverage on Sunday night on Snapchat and Twitter and Instagram and
2: and vanityfair.com. Yeah,
0: and all the other places that we'll cover it, but we'll have it first. So Beth does her job. She makes sure everybody gets the coverage, but we get it first. Um, (laughs) Beth, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's crazy preparation. So uh, thanks for lifting the veil for our listeners. Thanks for having me. So when Academy voters get their ballots to vote for the Oscars, the voting is ended by now, they are given a list of all of the Best Picture nominees. But instead of just picking one, instead of looking at it and saying, my favorite movie of the year was The Martian, so I'm voting for it, they're given the chance to rank them. So you rank all of the films, this year it's eight films, one through eight. And then those votes are weighted in a really specific way that really determines everything about who wins Best Picture. Mike, is there a good two-sentence way to explain how the preferential ballot works? Let me try. Okay. In
2: in order to win Best Picture, you need 50% of votes. So the first thing that happens is they count up all the first place votes. So people rank the movies from one to eight. I'm already past two sentences. Uh, People (laughs) rank the movies from one to eight, and everyone's number one picks are counted up. So let's say that there were 5,000 votes and The Revenant had 1,000 first-place votes and was in the lead. The Revenant has to get to 2,501 votes, and how they do that is by eliminating the movie with the least number of number one votes and taking all the number two votes from those and reallocating them. So let's just say that Bridge of Spies was the number eight movie. Everyone's number two choices of those people who had put Bridges of Spies number one would then get redistributed as votes for the other movies.
0: And say the people who liked Bridge of Spies were really big fans of The Martian, then all of a sudden The Martian gets this huge bump. So maybe then The Martian has a thousand votes. And right. It's tied with The Revenant because yeah. you know it's all about how the vote all the voters who collected around Bridge of Spies might have something totally different in mind.
2: Yeah. So there's a few things that we know about this year. One is that it's really competitive. There are four three or four viable Best Picture candidates among the eight that are actually nominated. Maybe even five if you believe the crazy room theory. But let's just say there's there's three, three or four. Definitely Revenant, Spotlight, and Big Short. Maybe Mad Max. Maybe Room. So, so that suggests that there's not going to be a first ballot winner. We're not going to just immediately get to 2501 on the first count.
0: Yeah. You're, yeah, you're not, No one's going to have the lion's share of the votes the way that it might have in you know, a year when there was a runaway success. Right.
2: So then the, the interesting question that people are puzzling over is what kind – which of those viable movies are going to be more likely to be people's number two and three votes – Right, and so some people think that the Big Short is like everybody's second favorite movie of the year, and that this actually will, even if Big Short doesn't have the as many number one votes as Revenant, it will end up catching up and beating Revenant. I am kind of thinking that Spotlight could also be this. I feel like everyone sort of really admires Spotlight but may not love it enough to put it number one, and it could be the kind of movie that gets placed sort of number two as like, I also, you know, I did I, did I respect have you, spotlight, spotlight high up in my list.
0: Richard, do you feel like we're psychoanalyzing voters too much in doing this? Like, is this, I mean, this is obviously how the votes were made, but like, is there any way for us to know this stuff?
1: I mean, I I, I think that this, this system kind of uh, requires some psychoanalyzing, you know, I mean, because it is, you know, I don't know how many people are actually thinking sort of in a a long strategy for this kind of voting. But, but, you know, I think you're right, Mike, that Spotlight sounds like that movie to me. And it's kind of interesting to put ourselves in the heads of people who are filling out that ballot and knowing that what they put at the bottom of the list probably, you know, isn't going to matter. But like two, three, four, I mean, that's...
2: Here's what's really interesting is what what does matter is the second place choices of people whose first choice has no chance in hell. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Exactly. It doesn't matter who your second place choice is if you pick Revenant. But it does matter maybe very much if you pick The Big Short or Brooklyn mm-hmm. or maybe The Martian. Like, we don't know which of those is going to be eight. Or if you write in one Carol. one of those three. Yeah.
0: Not The Big Short, Bridge of Spies.
2: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Bridge of Spies. Or if Bridge you
0: write in Carol, that's yeah. a really yeah. good the way Carol to pick it right right The in Revenant. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so, and if you start to think about, okay, Brooklyn, Bridge of Spies, Martian, like, it's hard to figure out who's that person and what's their number two movie. But it's very interesting to kind of speculate.
0: And also the idea that The Revenant, at least among critics, has been the movie that you either love or you hate. And there's like a really vocal pro-Revenant majority or, you know, group. And then a lot of people who might put it number nine because they know, I mean, people are number eight. People know how the preferential ballot works. Like if you love Spotlight and you want The Revenant to lose, you will put The Revenant number eight on your ballot and Spotlight number one and then give your number two to... Brooklyn, so that you know it won't go benefiting any of the real competition.
2: Well, wow, so th- that's interesting too. People, it's a heavily people, game some, system. Some people may be strategically preferential. Would it you
0: if you were voting?
2: Yeah, but I feel like a lot of the voters probably are not necessarily <laughs> thinking about it that much. There's
0: probably plenty of people too who just put down one and then leave it and are not maximizing the game to its full potential.
2: But yeah, because yeah.
1: if you put down one, you run the risk of your vote not counting at all, right? Because yeah. if, you, if you vote for the wrong one, then it gets thrown away, basically.
0: Yeah. I mean, talking about this really does convince me that there's room for surprise in Best Picture. Like, I when I did my like group of friends Oscar predictions pool, I put down Spotlight just because The Revenant doesn't seem to have it locked up when it comes to preferential ballot that
1: much. That's what Pete Hammond just today was like. I know I've been saying The Revenant... And maybe the big short, but I'm hearing late news that possibly Spotlight is the is one making a surge. I mean, who the hell
2: knows? But
0: that yeah. really tells you what a crazy year this is.
2: Yeah. Now, okay, now I'm going to go back and try to make the case for Revenant. Okay. Because I think for bloggers and critics, they may have a love hate relationship with Revenant, but I have a feeling that industry people may look at it differently, right? This is a movie that made a ton of money. It has a bunch of very like famous kind of admired people involved with it. So they're going to be less kind of inclined to be like, this movie violates my aesthetic ideas, and more like, you know, they really did a hell of a job with The mm-hmm. Revenant. And even though I loved Spotlight more, or, or it wouldn't be Spotlight, it wouldn't matter if it was Spotlight. Even yeah. though I loved Brooklyn, I just totally went along for that ride. I have to say, Revenant right up there, you know, that's a good movie for this industry, etc. So, so you, I think that, that the love-hate thing may not extend to industry as much as we might think. Do You think
0: know. by being the biggest spectacle, The Revenant has kind of the edge above the big short spotlight. It,
2: it might. The same reason why we're assuming that a lot of people are going to put it one, I, I don't see why that shouldn't also hold for number two. Hmm. Whereas we know, like we may, I think, I suspect we may be overinterpreting the small number of like Twitter active bloggers <laughs> who are like, I hate the Revenant. And it's not entirely clear always to me why. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm so I'm so tired of of
1: the, <laughs> the Revenant um,
3: <laughs>
1: that I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I think that you might get right. I think that, that that big $300 million number, which I think is what their box the box office for that movie is at right now. Coupled, worldwide, right? Worldwide, yes. Um, wow, couple, that's still It's really crazy. crazy. Well, I mean, but they spent so much money. So I I'm, I'm I think they're about to turn a little bit of a profit. But,
0: yeah. But just uh, the right. fact that that, I mean, you know, that's huge money for a movie about someone dying in the wilderness.
1: Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think that also The Revenant, it's apolitical in a way, which, you know, I'm sure that there there's a big short camp and there's a spot, spotlight camp but maybe they you know maybe there's the, on the venn diagram there's not as much overlap but the revenant doesn't really uh seek to cause any offense to anybody on on those terms so I, so maybe it's sort of the the broader choice I still think it's going to win despite some potential ballot wonkiness. But but I I think you're right, Mike, that Spotlight is probably going to be a lot of people's, you know, I like that movie. I respect that movie number two. And then that
2: could. It feels to me more like the number two movie this year than Big Short. Right. Which could make it the number one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I can't help but thinking about what would happen if The Martian if Ridley Scott had gotten that Best Director nomination because if it was spectacle versus spectacle and The yeah. Revenant versus The Martian, that would be those are so similar that I think The Martian would be siphoning votes away from The Revenant in a way that it's not now. Like that campaign that just felt be like true. it died. When Ridley Scott didn't get the, I don't think it's actually doing it. But. Yeah,
2: another another box office success with big stars, you know. Yeah, right. In this yeah. alternate
0: universe, mm-hmm. let's talk about a couple of the other categories that we seemed iffy on. Mike, you almost did a last minute change of your best costume prediction. Yeah, <laughs> which is a, is a that's a tricky category. It uh, is. Why is that so unfair or um, unclear?
2: Well, you know, Sandy Powell is nominated for in for two of the five costume nominees. She's the same person did Carol and Cinderella. And to me, Cinderella, even though it was successful at the box office, did not really rate on my radar screen as much as a lot of these other kind of more celebrated Oscar movies. So that immediately made me think, hmm, you know, why is this a front runner? And there is a camp that thinks that Mad Max will win, that that costume will be part of this expected sweep of technical awards i guess you could call it and then the costume uh, guild voted and mad max won they don't seem to have like a best costume award and it's not that predictive it's only predictive about 50 percent of the time but mad max did win a a guild award that said i still think that cinderella might be one of those movies that like it's there to get one oscar and it will get that oscar and people really liked that movie like yeah. it was very well yeah. received
1: so maybe that has something going for it there are some weird pants in that movie for the men so <laughs> i would i wouldn't <laughs> vote for it based on those pants but
0: i don't know they're pretty uh attention getting maybe that's the uh, attention getting is a bad thing in this case yeah we had yeah.
1: someone on twitter tweeting at all of us yesterday about this uh, talking about that mad max technical category sweep and how they they, they were saying that they think that that is going to fall apart that star wars will sneak in and get special effects or you know
0: yeah the star wars visual effects thing i i th- I find that pretty convincing because yeah. i think bb8 qualifies as a star wars visual effect and like Is that, that right? alone i mean he's a you know like robots used to win it before it was all cgi and like that's a pretty impressive visual effect right there
2: i'm actually not really sure where this mad max will sweep all the technical awards meme came from do you know
0: i mean it's just it's that it's a well-liked movie there's a the sense that it's probably not going to win best picture but that people really right. like it and yeah. When you've got Mad Max versus Star Wars which they didn't like enough to nominate for best picture. Basically right. it's a best picture nominee competing against a bunch of non best picture nominees. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. It, it's interesting so I did this recap on the site this week of the 1996 Oscars. It's the third year that I've done this very silly. It's so good. Yes, it's, very good. It, well, thank you. I mean, it's it took an, a stupid amount of time to do, but um, <laughs> but Sharon Stone liked it, and so. Sharon Stone, Sharon Stone. Is the I mean, my new Twitter it. friend. But yeah. that year was Braveheart and Apollo thirteen were sort of the two things that vying for for best picture, and then kind of all the below the line, like the narrative early in that awards ceremony was going for Braveheart, and then sort of Apollo thirteen kind of spoiled it. I think it won editing or something maybe. So I kind of I could see that actually. happening. Happening where there's, it looks like it's going to go one way because the first technical awards go to Mad Max, and you say, okay, this is the rest of the show. But I, I think that there's enough there: Star Wars, Reven, whatever else, Cinderella, that could kind of spoil that. I think that the Mad Max narrative started because people, fans of that movie wanted it to win Oscars. <laughs> you know, I don't know that
2: there was necessarily
1: yeah. any truth to it.
2: Well, just like I was saying, I think we, I worry that we overinterpret blogger anger against Revenant. I it also worry that we overinterpret blogger enthusiasm for Mad Max. Right. I've been saying that, I guess, all year. But. Yeah,
0: no, and that happens, you know, the whole social network King's Speech year. And as Peggy Siegel told us, like, right. the internet wanted the social network to win. But everyone in Hollywood was, I mean, enough people in Hollywood were behind the King's Speech. So yeah. maybe Mad Mad Max really is too weird to win on these technical. Awards.
2: Remember when people thought Drive was gonna be a best picture <laughs> oh, nominee? All right,
0: all right, that's that's another <laughs> level. Of Are you subtweeting
2: me, Mike? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, if Mad Max, there's something like if Mad Max doesn't win makeup, that would be really weird. If the Revenant wins that instead, yes, like, I think it's got a pretty good angle on production design. Like Mad Max is not going home empty-handed for sure.
2: Yeah, let's come back one more time to supporting actress. Richard, you did a little research for, on this for the predictions post that we did on the site. So what's your take now? Well,
1: so what I wrote in the predictions post is that the Oscars are only the second time this awards season that Vikander and Winslet have actually kind of squared off against each other because the awards that Winslet won, the BAFTA and the Golden Globe, Vikander was not in her category. So only at Well, set. Vikander
0: was nominated for Ex Machina at the BAFTA. Which is uh, oh right right, but but not
1: the Danish girl which, which is the yeah. one that she won the SAG for. So it's kind of this weird thing where where you think that they've been kind of squaring off against each other all season, but they qu- haven't quite. So I, I I was sort of not really sure what to where to go on that, and I decided to sort of follow my heart in a way, and I and I think that Kate <laughs> Winslet's going to win. Um, Your heart
0: will go on, you might yeah, say. Yeah, well,
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, and I think that people want to see her and Leo together, and you know, hold you know that that the wonderful all four actors holding their Oscars together, the little, you know, clink that they do um, backstage. Yeah. Uh, I think that they want to see that picture and, you know, talking about getting into voters' heads. But but yeah, I mean, it, that's still touch and go. Like, I feel like there's as much of a case to say for, for Vicander, but I, I just don't, I don't think that she's enough of a name
2: yet in a, in a weird way. And here's the issue with that category. Neither of those movies in my opinion is quite works as well as hoped.
0: No, well neither right? of them is a the best picture nominee. And yeah,
2: neither of those you. is a best picture nominee. Right. And then and then Vikander it's basically Pretty close to category fraud. I mean, it's basically yes. a lead role, right? Yeah. And it was in, in several other awards. I can't tell if people get penalized for that or they get rewarded for that because the role is meteor or whether it's a wash. I think it maybe is just a wash. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, basically, you've got very good performances in movies that don't quite work as well as people had hoped. And so I do think at some point you just kind of put star power against star power and Kate has earned it, even though... These the the women's awards tend to go to ingenues yes. generally, so that's I don't. know, It's really
0: tough. The thing that I keep thinking of to really just throw things off is in uh, two thousand seven, the year that it was uh, Tilda Swinton, Kate Blanchett, Ruby Dee, Saoirse Ronan, and Amy Ryan. And Amy Ryan and Kate Blanchett had been kind of cleaning up the Critics' Awards, and it seemed pretty split between them. And then Tilda Swinton won, kind of the mm. out of the, she was the surprise winner of that bunch. So I'm trying to think of who would be the beneficiary. Like maybe Rooney Mara wins somehow, or yeah. Uh, Rachel McAdams, Charlotte Adams
2: Rampling, as, <laughs> as, uh, Rampling and as an "f you" to the Oscar so white <laughs> hashtag. I mean, it could happen. There was some theory that Tilda Swinton's
1: win that year had something to do with the writer's strike, mm.
0: because
1: they there weren't speeches at the Golden Globes or something. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, the Golden Globes remember, were but,
0: like it was like an episode of Entertainment Tonight or something. That was a weird year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would that would be exciting if something like that happened. I I, I still think it's just that between the two of them, but um, that yeah. was Michael Clayton.
0: Michael clayton yeah yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah she wore that like velour like awesome carpet thing yeah i'm just like i'm just waiting to see rachel mcadams be like the mirror sorvino of this year and everyone be like wait how did she win and then yeah good on you rachel mcadams so yeah i, I at this point i always start rooting, rooting for chaos like if <laughs> yeah, the martian definitely. wins best picture no one will be more delighted than me even though all of our predictions will have been wrong
2: well we have to sit through the damn thing <laughs> I know. might as well have some we'll be very tired happen. by
0: then so we may as well hope for some excitement well, our predictions are all up on VanityFair.com. You can uh, see them. There's an Oscar, and Oscar ballot on the website where you can uh, print it out and, you know, make your choices based on ours or based on you thinking we're totally wrong. And then we'll check in on Monday and see just how right we managed it. I, I just
1: want to remind people listening that, you know, these predictions are not legally binding. We are not, we are not liable. <laughs> <for> <laughs> Don't any, blame yeah, us if you lose money. This is, <laughs> we are human and fallible. Same as you. So.
0: Same as the Academy. That does it for this special edition of Little Gold Men. We'll be back on Monday with another special edition of Little Gold Men as Mike and I broadcast from not having slept all night at the Vanity Fair Oscar party and uh, Richard and Sam all rested up in New York try to talk us through and make sense of what we talk about. It's going to be an adventure, so please listen to it. You can find all of us in the meantime at VanityFair.com. Writing so much about the Oscars and the Oscar party, there's going to be a lot going on on Sunday, especially. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich. Mike?
2: Mike underscore Hogan.
0: And Richard?
1: Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S.
0: This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Tim Einenkell and engineered here in Los Angeles by Jeff Peters. And this week's award for Best Unintentional Burning Man reference goes to Mike Hogan.
2: There's this structure being built right now and it's built every year and then taken down and then rebuilt the following year.